Hi, I'm Christine Dorr, owner of Neococo. And I'm Tammy Tan, owner of Spice Hound. And we are co-owners of Kitchen 519, our shared-use commercial kitchen in the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome to Lettuce Wrap, the podcast about food, food business, and the people who work in the industry. Today we have Stuart Crystal Demand with us. Yay! Yes, thanks. You, thank you for coming up today. Thanks for having yes. me. Yeah. Christine, you've known Stuart for a long time. Yes. How did you guys meet? A long time ago, back when the chocolate salon was at Fort Mason. I was working in a cookware store in Half Moon Bay called Toke Blanche. And Terrence, who runs the chocolate salon, was in. And he invited me to be a judge at the chocolate salon. So one Saturday told my family, hey, I got to go to work to San Francisco to taste chocolate. And that was the first time I tasted uh, Neo Coco. And I really did love her chocolates. And so I placed an order for the store. And then that's how we met. And that was just truffles at that time. Yeah. And you've since also inspired Christine, right? With different confections. He's he's encouraged. Yes. 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 So one of the first brittles that we made was one called a sesame seed, black sesame seed brittle. And uh, of course, always take it around to uh, people, people to try. And so I tried to take it beyond friends and family. So, so what did you think? So I, I think my face kind of had this, like I didn't make a very strong expression because I was like processing it because it was so different than anything else I'd ever tasted. It was, it was like halva and chocolate and like they got together and had a baby or something. <laughs> and so like I had this, I was like, I had... I guess I had this thinking expression on my face and she's like, oh, you don't like it? I'm like, no, I didn't say that. Hold on. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'll, and I ended up liking it. And then a couple weeks later, she came and delivered an order. And I said, when are you going to make that sesame brittle? And she's like, oh, I don't think we're going to make it. And we decided not to make it. I'm like, why not? And <laughs> she just, you know, I can't remember exactly what she said. I, I said, how much is the production run? She said, just one case. I'm like, okay, I'll order a case. I guess it was like, show me the money. Yeah. So I ordered a case and then- couple weeks later, probably ordered two cases and then it kept growing from there. And they were hard to keep in stock. Yeah. The legend of the black sesame riddle. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yes, I attribute that to, to Stuart. <laughs> Thank you. You did the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> but you did the encouragement. And now it's bloomed into this beautiful, at least 10 year friendship. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. yes. Oh, it's so know. beautiful. <laughs> Such love. <laughs> That's one of the things I love about the food community in the Bay Area is that everybody works well together. It's not a ton of competition. For Took Blanche, you were a buyer. Correct. And so what do you do in that capacity? I tried to focus on really specialty items because we were a general cookware store, but we had a, it was more of a higher end store. And there are tons of grocery stores, especially out in the Bay Area. So I really wanted to focus on a lot of specialty, hard to find items. A lot of local stuff like Neo Coco chocolate, for instance. You know, I'd already had connections with a lot of brokers and distributors out here. They knew what I was looking for. And so they would bring things and see if I was interested. Every time a new Autolenghi cookbook would come out, I would make sure to get a preview copy and I would go through each recipe, look just glancing down and looking for the strange spices. And then I would order them before the book came out. <laughs> Some people come in, have you heard of Vatuvan? Yes, yes, we have it right here. <laughs> then since then, Toke Blanche, unfortunately, has closed down since. Yes. And you've moved on to? I've moved on to a couple of things. So for a while, I, I started blogging, like, you know, one does. <laughs> um, 
And then, <laughs> would you like to have a blog? So yeah. the blog is uh, StuartOnTheCoast.com. S T U A R T on the coast. We'll have it in our show notes. Thank you. So I had this idea also of doing cooking classes through that as well in people's homes because I did a lot of cooking classes at Took Blanche and they were quite popular. I was trying to do that, but I was also looking for a full-time gig and didn't want to start something and then not be able to do it. So I put off starting the getting the business licenses and everything for the in-home cooking classes and whiskey tastings. I have to say I enjoyed a lot of my, uh, I, I say I'm ga- I was gainfully unemployed. <laughs> um, it was, was kind of nice for a while. And then, so I decided, okay, it's been long enough. I'm going to go ahead and do this. And so I got everything going. And then about two weeks after I did that, I got a full-time job. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, of course. So I'm like, I doing that. I should have done it sooner. When you said you were teaching classes, what kind of foods do you cook? So I'm a vegetarian. Um, I tend more toward Mediterranean and Italian flavors because I've lived in the Middle East for a while. So that's what you teach. You teach vegetarian. Yeah, I teach vegetarian um, classes. It can be anything. I'll cook anything. If I have to, it's something I don't know. I'm That just gives me a chance to learn. You know, I've been cooking since I was six years old. I grew up in a family that cooked a lot. My dad's in the food business. My mom cooked. Um, what did he do? He's a food broker. Okay. So, um, so I got a full-time job. I'm a cheesemonger at a local grocery store in Half Moon Bay called New Leaf. But I'm also doing cooking classes and whiskey tastings and whiskey is why we're here today. Yeah. So how did you get into whiskey tasting? Um, about probably about seven, eight years ago, I would go to Chicago every year for the houseware show when I was working at Took Blanche and we went to this bar and I wanted to try some whiskey. I'd never tried whiskey before. Decided to try some. Never tried. No, I had never tried it. So they order their cocktails and I'm like, oh, can I try some whiskey? And she's like, oh, that's another book. I'm like, what? <laughs> so she comes back and she comes back with this book that was thicker than the cocktail book of all the different whiskeys. Oh, little did you know what you would have? Yeah, I, I did not know that this place was known for their whiskey selection. So I'm like, had no clue what to get, what to try. I'm looking through it. I get to the scotches. There's one uh, called Talisker from Isle of Skye. We have a friend who's from Scotland that lives near us, and her daughter's name is Sky. So I'm like, okay, I'll order this one. That was that was my reasoning. Knew absolutely nothing about it. It's like uh, I like the label; it was pretty. <laughs> I didn't even see the label; it was written in a book. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Isle of Sky, that sounds gorgeous. So I'll try that one. So it comes this huge ice cube in it, and I take a little sip, and it was like there was a bonfire in my mouth. It was like so smoky, and just. That it was, that was all I was tasting. Got better a little bit as the ice melted, so I decided maybe I don't like whiskey so much. Oh! So the next night, um, out with the owner of Took Blanche and the buyer from the Santa Cruz store, and we start talking. I start telling the story, and he said, "Oh, well, there are other whiskeys, you know." <laughs> So he he told some stories about Jameson. So we ordered a Jameson after dinner. And to this day, I do not know which Jameson it was. And I've tried several Jamesons, have not found this particular one, but it was rich. It was like toffee and vanilla and sweet. And the it was so good. And I'm like, okay, maybe there are other whiskeys. And so when I got back, I was just like, okay, I'm going to just start trying different whiskeys and find what I like. 
because that's kind of what you have to do. So I'd buy little airplane bottles or I would go to a bar and, you know, order something just to try it. And then I just started reading books and uh, articles, things on it. And then I found something in Kentucky called the Stave and Thief Society, and they have a bourbon steward certification program. So I had tried a few bourbons and they weren't my favorite. There were some other scotches and other whiskeys that I liked better, but I decided to start exploring bourbons a little bit and then decided to enroll in the course. There are two options. There's the one in Kentucky, which would have been very nice, but it wasn't quite uh, feasible at that point in my life. So there was an in-home version. So, you know, you order a book, you study, and then you have to take an online test and you have to create a flight. That's your your test. Yeah, that's the test. So creating the flight and then answering the questions. And so that was was a lot of fun. So Stave and Thief Society, uh, what is Stave and Thief? So the stave is a piece of the wood that's used to make the barrel. That's the ones that go up. Okay. Yeah, the long long skinnier ones is the stave. Okay. And then a thief is, it's called a whiskey thief. It's a giant glass tube. And during the process of making the whiskey to test it as it's as you're going along and aging it, you go in, you use that, put it in, put your thumb over the top of it to create pressure, and you can take steal some whiskey out of there. So your title is officially a bourbon whiskey steward. Correct. So let's talk about bourbon whiskey. Yeah. So whiskey, what is whiskey? Whiskey is a grain spirit that's been distilled. Bourbon is a subclass of that. Scotch is a subclass of that. Rye is a subclass of that. Scotch, Irish, Japanese, they're all subclasses of whiskey. I know people refer to bourbons, rye, and all that, but then they will also refer to the region, right? Like, this is a Japanese whiskey, and then you just Correct. put all that under there. And right. Canadian and- whiskeys are supposedly rye whiskeys. They, they can be. There's a lot less... Um, legality about Canadian whiskeys of what has to be in there. Some Canadian whiskeys are rye. Some that call themselves rye have very little rye in there. Whereas in America, to make a rye, it has to have at least 51% rye in the mash bill, which is basically the, the ingredients. So it's typically rye, wheat, corn, and barley, depending on the ratio of all those ingredients, sometimes there's one or two are left out. Um, bourbons are typically made with rye for some spiciness. Corn is the main ingredient in bourbon. That's 51% at least. Tends to be, usually be closer to around 70. Um, sometimes there's rye in there and barley because barley is always in there because it helps with the fermentation. And then sometimes there's what's called a weeded whiskey. So that is instead of the rye, you have wheat. Those tend to be a little bit sweeter. Um, the rye tends to bring out a spicier notes. And can you make a bourbon outside of the Bourbon County of Kentucky? Yes, you can. Bourbon has to be made in America. As a matter of fact, when I did my flight for my test to become a bourbon steward, I did all California bourbons. Can you make a scotch out of? Scotland. No, you cannot. <laughs> you can make a single grain whiskey. Right. You can make a whiskey, but you cannot make a scotch out of Scotland. 
So it's similar to champagne and California sparkling wine. Right. I wanted to ask you about uh, the spelling too. <laughs> Do you know, could you have any opinion on that? Um, well, there, there are rules actually. <laughs> oh. So you're talking about whether the E goes e, in it or right. not. Yes. To e. So in Scotland, they do not use the E. And in America, they do use the E, except in Tennessee, um, because they, it was very heavily influenced by the Scotch. Oh. It's just a matter of spelling convention. But typically, and also the Japanese were very influenced by the Scotch as well, uh-huh. when making their whiskey. But typically, if... The country of origin does not have an E in it, then there's not an E in the in the word whiskey. How about your definition for what is a bourbon? So it's not my definition. It's actually there's a, a legal definition from Congress. It must be made in America. It must be made with at least 51% corn, and it must be aged in new charred oak barrels. So, or actually, it must be stored in new charred oak. It does not have to be aged. There's actually a story that you can take, make a 51% mash of corn, distill it, take it out of the still, put it in a new charred oak bucket, take it to the bottling facility and bottle it right away. And it's still considered bourbon. Now you do have to state on there that it's been aged less than one day. And how does that taste? (laughs) It tastes like moonshine. (laughs) Because that's basically what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Which is actually also making a comeback. There are a lot of distillers are making stuff called White Dog. Because with the big bourbon boom and a lot of craft distillers coming about, that's a, you know, at least four to 10 year period to get your stuff out on market for the most part. I mean, you can age whiskey less, but it's not going to be that great depending on where you are. Because weather has a large effect on the whiskey as well. Because when you're aging in barrels, most scotches are 10 years old. Good bourbons can be, you know, four, six years old because the weather in Scotland is a lot cooler than in Kentucky. And when you have these larger variations during the time period and in temperatures, that's when the liquid gets soaked into the wood and then it goes back out. And then the more that happens, the more flavoring it's going to get from it the charring helps filter some of the off flavors out also gives it some flavor the placement in the rick house which is where they keep the barrels um if it's on the middle floor in the middle of the floor it's going to be different than the one on the top floor by a window or even the middle floor by a window okay so what is a scotch so a scotch is typically made with barley um sometimes they add some couple of other grains as well. Um, it's got to be made in Scotland. And the Scotch and the Irish can actually add different things, different flavorings. It can be aged in different barrels besides oak. Typically, it's actually aged in used bourbon barrels. That's where a lot of the bourbon barrels go. And then sometimes they do secondary maturations. You can do different flavors. You can also add coloring. To scotches, you can add caramel coloring to bourbon. You cannot add any more flavoring, and you cannot add any more, and you cannot add any artificial colors. So, are there different types of cask? Cask can be made from anything, but depends on the type of whiskey you're doing. So, if you're doing bourbon, it has to be oak. Other like scotches will use like a port use, cask. Yeah, they'll use like, a port cask or something like that. What about the difference in the s- size of casks? 
that has to do with the amount of liquid in there that's going to be able to get into the wood. So the larger, yeah, the larger the cask, the less is actually coming in contact with surface area. So a little so barrel, a is, little barrel is yeah, better, desirable because you have a lot more. But it's also not quite as cost effective. So now we're gonna do a tasting, finally, huh? <laughs> okay. So Stuart's gonna lead us through a tasting, and tasting with us is gonna be Jason, our producer. Hello. Hello. Excited to be here. <laughs> and also whiskey enthusiasts. Very much so. Yes, he does have a very impressive collection. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So Stuart, describe uh, what flight you've created for us today. Well, first, how do you choose a flight? So there are many ways of choosing flights. Just like when you're talking about wines, either, whether you're pairing wines with something or whether you're talking about tasting different wines, you can go either in comparison like similar things together, or you could do contrast. These things are totally opposite. Let's taste them and find out. Both are good for narrowing down to find out what you like. Most bars, if you go in, they will help you put a flight together. If you're trying to explore this world, I did that quite a bit when I was first starting. And so today, we actually decided to go with a rye tasting because we had quite a few different ryes between uh, Jason's collection and mine. Tell us again what rye, what the definition then of So a rye, what makes a rye a rye is that it has to have at least 51% rye in the mash bill. Just like bourbon has to have 51% corn, rye replaces at that least. Per, at least 51%. And can you explain a mash bill? So mash bill is basically the recipe of the percentage of grains. The mash is for those people that are used to making beer, which is actually how whiskey starts. You ferment the grains, make this sloppy soup called the wort. In Kentucky, it's called the mash, but it's basically a beer. And then you distill that liquid after fermentation. And that is what makes whiskey. Oh, it's based on beer. Okay. In essence, yes. Okay. People ask me what my favorite beer is. I say I prefer my beer distilled. <laughs> so today we're trying four different ryes. We have one from California, from Santa Cruz, from Venus Distillery. It's called Wayward Whiskey Rye. Um, the next one is called Resurgence Rye. It's from ASW in Atlanta. We have the Willet Straight Rye. And then we have Sagamore Spirit Rye which is from Maryland. So those are the ryes that we'll be tasting. So in what order are we going to try this? I think we should probably start with the Sagamore because that's the smoothest. Um, I have not tried the Willet. I'm very excited about trying the Willet. That's my contribution. Yes, <laughs> thank, you, yes thank you very much. So let's see, I would do the Sagamore. We'll do the Resurgence. And then, so we'll probably do the Willet last, actually, because it's got the highest proof. So you want to start with the smoothest and go with uh, go up from there. Uh, can you walk us through the process of how you taste whiskey? Yes. So I'm going to pour a little bit in a glass. Traditionally, it's a Glen Cairn glass is what you're tasting out of. It's a little bit tapered at the top. It helps cut and got a larger bowl at the bottom. So that will help sort of focus the aromas in the glass. Now, there's a lot of alcohol in whiskey. So you don't want to just, you know, unlike a glass of wine, you just stick your nose in there and smell and see what you smell. You know, that's like, you know, 
six to 12% alcohol. You want, this is, you know, above 40. So what you want to do is take, pour a little bit of whiskey glass, like half an ounce would probably be just fine, especially if you're tasting a few, you don't want to overdo it. And then you take the bottom rim of the glass and you want to place it just under your nose. But the very important thing is do not breathe in through your nose. You want to say, take the bottom rim just on your nose and then breathe in through your mouth. So your nasal passages are connected to your nose. A lot of taste is actually smell. So what you do is it's called retronasal breathing. So you're kind of breathing in, you breathe in through your mouth and then you sort of can take the glass away and breathe out through your nose and you'll get the aromas of the actual whiskey without getting all that alcohol. Because if you get all that alcohol up your nose, you're not going to be able to smell anything and it's going to affect the tasting as well. And once you've, once you've smelled it, what kind of things are you looking for? There are lots of different flavor profiles and everybody's taste buds are different. So, you know, it will probably happen here. We'll taste the same thing, but we may not get exactly the same flavors. And some of us might like it and some of us might not, but that is why there's a whole world of whiskey out there, right? So you want to taste it, kind of swirl it around your mouth a little bit and you can sort of let it coat your tongue and then swallow it. You'll just kind of taste some different things and you sort of see, well, what does that remind me of? Typical flavors can be anywhere from vanilla to woody, caramel, you can take leather is another one. And there are all sorts of different sources. It could be the grain. It could be the wood that you're getting all these flavors from. All right, let's taste. All right. So Sagamore Spirit Rye. They are trying to reproduce a style of rye called Maryland Rye that is a bit smoother, was probably made with a different strain of rye grain than what was available in the Midwest and in the South. Maryland Rye is sort of making a comeback, but nobody's really exactly sure what it originally was. The other thing about Sagamore Spirit is that they are right by a water source that is a limestone spring. And the limestone in the spring really helps filter the water. And so that is such an important ingredient in whiskey. They're saying that that is what makes a difference. Okay, so you talk about putting the lip of the glass, the lower lip of the glass, sort of under your nose, nose. Mm -hmm. and then breathing in through the mouth and breathing out through the nose. And if you if you try to put your nose directly in there, you'd basically burn the hairs off your nose with the alcohol, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. (laughs) But you were showing us earlier, there are glasses. Right. There are some glasses out there that have like a little raised bump in the middle. Jason had one called, what was yours called? I have a couple of glasses called Norlin, N-O-R-L-A-N. They were a Kickstarter. I will put a link in the show notes. And the one I have is from Peugeot. But that little bump in the middle basically helps dissipate the alcohol. So you can stick your nose in there and get more of the aromas of the whiskey rather than the oh, just the alcohol. And I think one of the things that people don't realize is how important those aromas are in the flavors that you get. It's not just what you get on your tongue, right? Though Those aromas right. actually add quite a bit to what something tastes mm-hmm. like. Yes, and just like right. food as well. The, your smell actually does affect your taste quite a bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm getting a lot of vanilla notes on the Sagamore, which is, and very smooth. It is very smooth. Um, it is a lower ABV. and ABV? Yes, the ABV. That's the alcohol by volume. So that's the percentage of the alcohol, alcohol. in the total volume of the liquid. Correct. Exactly. So if something is 40 ABV, then the proof, which is the other term used for it, is double. So 80 proof is 40 ABV. And then, you know, that's going to hold in your glass. But what you can do is you can add a little bit of water. And there are a few ways to do that. You can either, you can drink a little water, keep some in your mouth, or you can use a dropper and add a few, just a few drops to the glass. And that will cut the ABV. It will make it a little smoother. And you'll also probably pick up different flavors because you're going to be able to taste different things when the alcohol volume is lower. Just the tiniest bit of yeah. water, a couple of drops of water. Yep. Like it can make a huge difference sometimes. It can go from being almost impalatable to being totally, like, completely delicious. Like it can change the characteristics significantly. And like you don't know until you've tried it with and without and like different amounts and so on. It's really amazing how different they can be. Yeah. But like things on the rocks, uh, things on ice, then the ice is melting. Is it changing? So it changes as you drink it. Oh. Exactly. And so that's why like the big, huge ice cubes, yes. that's because they're going to melt slower than a lot of little ice cubes. So you have more mass, less surface area. So it's... It's not going to dilute it as much as quickly. All right. So what sort of flavors are you getting, Jason? Yeah, I definitely get the vanilla-y piece of there. I also get, I want to say, I don't know, grassy or herbaceous. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it. That works. I'm really bad about describing flavors. It's, it's, what, it's <laughs> what it smells like to you and what it reminds you of. That's the best way to describe it. I mean, like, like I said, there are lots of known descriptors for different things, but you know, when you're tasting, you're tasting what you're tasting. And that's the thing is the same whiskey tastes different, uh, different people. So what are you getting? So I definitely get the vanilla, but to me, it's a bit more of a back note. I'm getting some little bit of brown sugar and leather. Hmm. That might be the herbaceousness that you're getting. And yeah, it is very smooth. That's definitely one thing I like about this. It's very easy to drink. One of the things that I think is difficult about tasting is the language of tasting the the words one uses to describe right. what you're tasting you you said that there are standard way what kind of what kind of words should people be using they really should be using what comes to their mind so when i do classes you know, you'll have a note little notes to take on what flavors you're tasting you do the aromas you do the tasting and then you do what's called the finish so you know after you've taken that sip what flavors are still lingering? Is it a long lingering finish? Does it go away quickly? Are they different flavors than what you were tasting originally? There's earthy notes. There are, you know, so dirt, leather, grass. You could taste toffee, vanilla, brown sugar. You could taste oakiness from the wood. You can taste toasted, almost like a Nice kind of toasty flavor from the wood as well. So it really just depends on, you know, there are, like I said, certain terms that are used, but I don't necessarily think we need to follow those in a sense. I mean, it, you taste what you taste and it's about your experience. Okay. 
you know, it, it's very similar to like um, wine tasting. You know how Absolutely. they have all that like cherry notes and they, they right. say tar and all yeah, that stuff. Exactly, too. but it's but that's what they're tasting. So if that's the word they're using to describe what they're tasting, you should be able to use words to describe what you're tasting, right? <laughs> I don't know. I find it in the wine world, it, it seems much more precious about those things, right? I I think it's a little too precious. <laughs> that's my opinion. <laughs> so you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be snobby about anything. I'm just I wanna just share this experience with people and go, you know, if you want to try it, what do you you know, I know more about the tasting than I do now a lot about the history of all the distillers. I'm learning about that and it's, it's very storied. But my number one focus is, well, what does this taste like and do I like it? Mm-hmm. And do you find that is um, true in in the whiskey world? You know, it, I feel like in the wine world, it's not, right? It's all about points and it's all about like, what are these specific notes? Whereas, Well, there is that as well. I mean, there's a whiskey advocate magazine, just right. like there's a wine advocate magazine. Um, but that's one person's opinion. And, you know, I've found... You know, if you do read those things, and I, I recommend you do because it, it'll help you learn, but find a review, taste something that somebody tasted and see how that your taste compares to theirs. And then find a reviewer that has similar tastes and then you'll know, oh, well, this person like this one, I might like it too. Whereas if somebody's totally off, you're like, oh, that sounds great. And then you'll get it and taste it. And you're like, oh, I don't like this at all. We just tasted the Sagamore Spirit, which was 83 proof, so 41.5% alcohol by volume. What do we have next? Next, we'll do the Resurgence Rye from Atlanta. One of my favorite. Are you, are you <laughs> yeah, partial I, to it? I, I am. No you know, you know I, I, like the, uh, I like the Atlanta Rye and I like the California Rye. There's no connection to where places I've lived whatsoever. No. No. <laughs> Thank you. They do something really interesting. They do a double distillation um, and they do grain in fermentation as well. And I believe this is close to 100% rye. I'm not sure exactly the mash bill, but it's very high in rye. But because of the double distillation, they have a double copper still that they use for making their whiskeys. And the shape and the type of still can vary the outcome of whatever whiskey you're making. So couple different types of stills. One is a pot still. Irish whiskey has to be made in a pot still. That's one bowl, one pipe, boil it, get the distillate off. This rye we're drinking is actually a double pot still. So they are doing boiling the mash. Some distillate is going through and then they are, it goes straight into another still and then is then again, whereas with Irish whiskeys, which are typically triple distilled, they need to get the distillate out, clean the still, put it back in, and then do that one more time. So it kind of saves a step using a double still. A continuous still is a very tall, tower-like looking thing that you pour the mash in the middle. It's heated as it goes down, and then there's a center tube where the distillate comes out and you can just keep pouring mash right in there. 
typically you there are some stainless steel stills out there, but mostly what you want is where the where the distillate is coming out. You want that to be copper because that the copper actually helps get rid of some of the sulfur flavors that are coming off. And this one is incredible. What did you smell first, Jason? So the thing that I keep getting is sort of a sort of a caramelly, like soft caramel. Exactly. I don't know if toffee is the right flavor. Yeah, that's in exactly there. what I got to on the smell. And then on the on the taste, it's coffee. Yeah. That's what I'm getting. A completely I was wondering if uh Stuart are you a coffee drinker? Or you um, I I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm actually not a coffee drinker either, but I'm completely tasting that coffee. Yeah. Flavor. Especially yeah, especially coffee the way I used to like it with lots of sugar and cream. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Which is A why I stopped drinking the coffee like that, but B probably why I really love this whiskey. <laughs> What's surprising to me about this is it has this very pepper taste to it, and I don't get it when I first taste it, but then at the end, like it just sort of stays on my tongue, like this That's very finished, peppery yeah. finish to it. But if I recall, you don't like peppery rye. I don't like super spicy, but the okay. thing is, what, so where she's getting coffee, and I can totally see that, I'm getting more like chocolatey cocoa, like milk chocolate. But, you know, they do have similar coffee and milk chocolate, especially I drink right. it. <laughs> it does have similar flavors. And so to me, that peppery finish is almost like a Mexican chocolate where you get that little bit of spice, right? Yeah, to- <laughs> to I get totally that- <laughs> see that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe just a little touch of mint at the end. But I think one review actually described it as a um, almost like a peppermint patty. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I didn't quite get that much mint, but... You know, I, once I read that review, I'm like, huh, yeah, I can kind of see that. So I'm going to add a couple of drops of water to this because I'm curious to see how it changes that peppery yeah. uh, finish at the end. I think people will say, I mean, this is a very, it's a much spicier one than the Sagamore. So I'm also curious on how water affects it. You know, uh, we have how much of that bottle is left? Like half, mostly from me drinking it and sharing it. I can't remember if I actually added water to it at any point. I think because usually I'll start off, I'll taste neat and then go mm-hmm. from there. And I think I just liked it so much neat. I just kept going. I don't feel like the water adds anything. No, I actually, it brings out the pepperiness in a way, in a way but not in a good way. Yeah. yeah. It actually makes it more peppery, but in a less enjoyable yeah. manner. I agree. Yeah. We just finished Resurgence Rye. Uh, it's a double copper pot distilled rye malt whiskey. So, Stuart, what's our next tasting? So, our next one is going to be from Santa Cruz. It's the Wayward Whiskey Rye by Venus Distillery. This one is a 46 ABV. So, it is a little on the hotter side. Do you know anything about Wayward? Or do we know that Santa Cruz is this new resurgence of rye place <laughs> um well they actually make a uh, single malt they make a rye they make two different types of gin um one's clear one's got a bit more has actually been barrel aged and they are actually doing the distilling so one thing you do want to look for that we haven't talked about yet is there are a lot of craft distillers out there but a lot of them are getting what's called sourced whiskey now there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you want to know. 
So a lot of the whiskey out there is from one particular large distiller in Indiana. Typically what happens with a lot of the whiskey that's bought from that place in Indiana is they'll buy something that they like and then they'll do something else to it. They'll put it on a different type of barrel or they'll, they'll make something. Whiskey labels have to say where they're from, where they're aged, what the ABV is. They don't have to say what the exact mash bill is because that's typically you know sort of secret. All right. So we've got the Venus Bridge. Tabby, what are you, what are you getting from this? A very peppery, really, it's it's kind of overwhelming my palate. What do you think, Jason? You getting? I actually, I'm having a hard time talking about this one because I I'm not sure what I'm tasting. I know, like I'm not sure what those flavors are. Yeah, yeah. How do you describe this? So not fruity, not fruity, not fruity. <laughs> I actually get a little bit of um almost almost a toffee aroma when I smell it. And a little like butter, butterscotch actually is what I'm smelling. Okay. And then a little bit of herbaceousness and a little bit of leather on the palate as well as those other flavors. But this one is a very high ABV. I actually do recommend adding a little bit of water to this one and then I'll open it up a little bit. So when you talk about having leather on the palate, are you going yeah. around licking belts? <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> Christine promised we'd keep my personal. <laughs> so the the funny thing about leather is it's it's in like when I'm reading about it, it's definitely it's one of those flavor profiles that they list. There's this one flavor that you know I'm like I could never place, and then when I got some of the Weller's weeded bourbon, there was a very it, that flavor was very predominant, and I'm like I don't like it, you know this forward. And I could not think of what it was. And I'm like thinking about it and looking about it and like going back and reading about stuff. And then it said leather. I'm like, oh, that's what that is. I get it. But I've been a vegetarian for a very long time. So I don't even own any leather. So it's like, like I had to go, oh, wait, that, that kind of leathery smell. I, I get it now. Gatinery. So, yeah. Yeah. Or like if you're near um, boots or yes. purses. <laughs> I will say, by the way, I just added, I don't know, six or seven drops to this, and it does change the characteristic noticeably. It does kill a little bit of the, of the burn, uh, not so much that you still aren't getting that that heat to it, but it does smooth it out noticeably. I don't know that I like it anymore. <laughs> I, I have to agree, too, because like, I feel at least, uh, it's not, say, palatable, but it's definitely smoother with the water, yeah. but I'm still not getting maybe stronger flavors that I, I personally like in my rice. How about that? Okay. That is a, that's a fair assessment. But when I did smell Tammy's, though, I did taste the butterscotch. Which is not surprising for a candy maker. No. But I think they all kind of smell like that. Right? I think that vanilla, the, the be, wood. Yeah. It's that. Yeah, it's that vanilla comes from the wood. Definitely. Yeah. And a lot of bourbons and a lot of whiskeys in general, well, they're all aged in wood and they all have some amount of vanilla smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like bourbons, some of my favorite bourbons, like the uh, Maker's Mark 46, super vanilla right? They actually go for that. They, they, they try to raise that profile in what they make. Yeah, that Maker's Mark 46 is pretty damn good. Wayward Whiskey Rye. That's what we just tried. From Santa Cruz, California. So what are we going to try next, Stuart? 
So next is Tammy's contribution, the Willet. I used to live in Kentucky, so I'm a bourbon girl. So since this is your contribution, you want to tell us about the Willet? Willet is a very, they're an old school brand. Yeah, I mean, very. they're classic for any bourbon yes. collection, right? No, the, their bourbon bottle looks like the lamp from uh, I Dream of Genie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the young people listening out there. <laughs> I Dream of Genie is a TV show that came out in the 1960s. Definitely <laughs> put show notes on that. <laughs> yeah, so even though this is a rye, it has a nose profile of a of a bourbon it has a very sweet nose to it i don't smell a lot of the alcohol what's the uh, abv on this 55 i'm getting a you're lot getting of a the, lot i'm of getting a lot of the alcohol that's interesting what's nice about the willet that i like there is a lot of alcohol but it doesn't overwhelm my ola factories <laughs> <laughs> but and unlike the wayward right I'm not getting as strong of a pepper notes. I mean, to me, the alcohol isn't overwhelming my palate, and I'm getting a lot of nice. Okay, what are those flavor notes? Um, I'm getting like like sugar, sugar, sugar. sugar. Yeah, yeah. This I get a lot yeah. of sherry. Yeah, like sweetness, dr- sweet dried fruit. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what, yeah, sherry. Yeah. So this is one of those bottles that says that it is a, only aged for three years. So something like that you said has to be stated on the label. Correct. Okay, so straight bourbons have to be at least two years. If it's less than four, it has to state it. I just tasted it, and my God, that burn just hits you like straight up, like completely on that first, like burns your tongue. I mean, that is an alcoholic. I, yes, you get that burn. The finish is not as pe- as burned. No, it doesn't. It's not peppery. I I like this quite a bit, and I have a feeling I would enjoy this in a cocktail because it's got such a pronounced, sweet, hot profile to it. That I think it would stand up to like a Boulevardier or something along those lines, or even a Manhattan sort of makes it like a sweet bomb, but with some heat to it. Yeah. And notes are you getting, Stuart? Um, definitely. Yeah, it it does. Like Jason said, reminds me a lot of bourbon. It is that nice kind of sweet. I'm still a bourbon girl. Yeah, hey. and it's rye. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yes, I yes, will it being in my collection? I. I like that flavor. I mean, I, I tend to like that. This is why I don't tend to like a peaty mo- a scotch. I tend to like it. Maybe the sweeter notes, the the toffee, the sugar, brown sugar notes. Yeah, yeah so, those are exactly the notes that I like too. You should, uh, did you open it up with water? I did. Still like it. Yeah, the water actually adds to the sweetness. Yeah, I feel, yeah, this is one where I think um, somebody could add water and it doesn't water it out. It's still, if anything, brings out more. Right. Such a, at 55%, that's, that's pretty high. So yeah, definitely that will help smooth it out and get those other flavors going. And that's just a, a great example of how adding water or adding a little bit of ice, if you want to, on a, on a hot Kentucky or Georgia day. <laughs> <laughs> It really, really helps. Yeah, this is something that I would definitely pour into a glass with a big rock and just drink that because over time, as it dilutes and it gets cool, it just becomes very refreshing and it helps cut down on some of that burn, some of that heat that you might otherwise get. Yeah, I, I like the Willet quite a bit. I'm, I'm actually very, very happy with this one. Good, good one, Tammy. Good, good job. job. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yes, from my very small personal collection. <laughs> I think compared to Jason's, 
<laughs> Nobody all, can compare yeah, to Jason. All of, all of ours. <laughs> Was he running a speakeasy here? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So we just tried the uh, family estate bottled single barrel rye from Willits. So Tammy, of the four that we tried, which is the one that you like the best? You can't choose the one you brought. Hmm. <laughs> okay. To me, I feel the Sagamore is, I it's like the polar opposite of a Willet. I mean, because it is incredibly smooth and and I feel like it's a good gateway rye. I I think people who aren't, who maybe have tried the more popular ryes out there. I think they'll be really impressed with the Sagamore spirit. And and that would be a good intro because it is pretty smooth and accessible. Is that your, your favorite of the four? Um, you know, I, I'm loving this. I'm, yeah. I'm loving this. Will it? Oh, um, that's right. You brought yeah, the other three. Yeah. That's I brought the other three. So, <laughs> so, much yeah, so yeah. So I, yeah. So I am uh, definitely, I, I will admit, I do love the resurgence compared yeah. to a lot of these. Yeah. Out of the, out of the four. Yeah. Out of the four. Is, is, is resurgence is for you. Well, the resurgence is very different in a lot of ways than the other than typical rye. That's one of the things I liked about it. But this Willet is absolutely incredible. I'm picking that not just because it's one I didn't bring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I was incredibly impressed with the resurgence because you're right that that chocolate coffee note is so unusual for a rye. I've never tasted that before. So to me, that's pretty impressive. And Jason, which one do you think is your favorite? Yeah, my favorite is definitely the Willet. Uh, rye. It's the closest to a bourbon, and I happen to love bourbons quite a bit. I like ryes for their spiciness, the pepperiness that you tend to get in a rye. The Willet has a much sweeter profile to it, so it's a lot closer to a bourbon. So if I was looking for something more bourbony, but I wanted something with the rye profile, I would definitely choose the uh, the Willet. I like that quite a bit. Where do you find these? Where do you buy them? Just find your local store if you can. Sort of like a Bevmo. Yeah, you know, so. Total wine, maybe. Total Total wine's pretty good. KNL. Very impressive. Yeah, KNL. KNL is definitely yes. one of my favorites. We have uh, near where Christine and I live in Moss Beach, there's a little coastside market, and it's like this little bodega type place, but they have a really impressive selection of whiskeys. Um, KNL, absolutely. And the thing I love about KNL is that when you ask to talk to the person about whiskey, they know their whiskey. And that's, that's really important, especially if you're just starting out, they will take the time to talk to you and see what you like and, and help guide you. For, for people who are new to whiskey, how would you suggest they get started? Go, go try a whiskey. Okay. The only way to find out what you like and what you don't like is by trying. When I was at a bar, you know, occasionally I would get something that I, you know, looked interesting. Um, I would talk to bartenders if I was somewhere where I could do a flight. You know, I would go and buy the little $2 small bottles of different things. You know, I remember I was uh, one restaurant near where I live had the Macallan 18 and it was $20 for a, a dram. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to save up for that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was at this little store that I was talking about earlier and they had the little bottles of it and they had the 12 and the 18. I'm like, well, how much is that Macallan 18 little? And he's like, Six ninety nine. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Pro- the problem with those is that it tends to be the more like mass produced stuff. You can't find the really interesting things like some of the stuff we've tasted here in the smaller bottles. But you know, at least that way you kind of learn your flavor profile, and then you can at least f- that will help you find other more interesting things. And you know, for me, that that little bottle was two, maybe even three 
tries. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not drinking a ton yeah. at a time. You know, I'll pour maybe an ounce in the evening and I'll nurse it for like, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. I'm not like, I'm just, I'm enjoying it. I wish I had that skill. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is the opposite of how I tend to drink wine. Thank you, Stuart, for joining us today. Please check out his blog, stewartonthecoast.com. And thank you to our producer, Jason, for joining us as well. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Let Us Wrap with Christine and Tammy. Thank you to our engineer and producer, Jason Anthony Guy. If you like our show, please recommend us to your friends. Please have them subscribe and rate us on iTunes or wherever they get their podcasts. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please tweet us at LettuceWrapPod or email us at LettuceWrapPod at gmail.com. Take it away, Stuart. That's a wrap. <laughs>